0: My name is Pastor Zach. And uh, today, uh, man, we have something special uh, kind of in ready for you. Usually I speak with a headset, so I'm not used to this thing. I don't know how to hold it and all this good stuff. But the reason I have a headset or uh, the handheld instead of a headset is because one of my buddies is preaching today. So can we give our best Ric Flair impersonation for Chris Hazlett as he comes to the stage? Well listen, I'm I'm pumped to have uh, to have Chris come and talk to you today. Again, if you're new, we've been in our altar series. Chris is gonna wrap it up for us today. Uh, let me give you kind of a, a brief synopsis of where we've been. Uh, week one, we talked about the altar of prayer. We took a look at Daniel and how he he bowed in prayer, stood for prayer when the entire nation was bowing down. We talked about the altar of presence, looking at Obed Edom's family, and Pastor Keith preached a phenomenal message there and led us into the altar of generations, taking a look at how Joshua built the altars. And week four was the altar of God's power. And the power of God was undeniable when reading through the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, In week five, we talked about the altar of uncut stones. If you remember, I had the chisel and the hammer, and I was saying, like, hey, listen, we don't have to try to dress up these stones. We don't have to dress up our life. We don't have to dress up our circumstances in order to present them before God. God says, "No, I want who you are. I want the uncut version of who you are. You don't have to try to dress yourself up. And, And in week six, we talked about the altar of encounter. So last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 35. And ultimately, we recognize that encounters require change. That you can't come to an altar and leave unaltered. You can't come to an altar and leave unchanged. Anytime you step into the presence of God, you're going to change. And so, again, today, man, we've got Chris preaching about the altar of sacrifice. Now, this is what I need from everyone in the room, all right? And really, I don't need it. Chris needs it. Uh, You can't sit here with like this blank stare on your face. All right? So Chris is going to need some feedback. I need everybody taking notes today. This is what we don't want. We don't want this. I did this last week. I'll do it again this week. Chris is preaching, and you're just like, I'm not going to make eye contact. <laughs> if I make eye contact, he's going to ask me a question. That's a good sermon, but I, I'm not going to shout him down. So Chris needs some feedback. Thank you, Right? Zach. You yes. need some. So Absolutely. Chris, this is me affirming you. This is me giving you the stage. Chris, tell us about your family. Introduce yourself a little bit and then yeah. get after it. Sure, absolutely. i got my godly goddess, Jennifer.
1: I also call her hot, Hatman and holy. But i got a 13-year-old daughter and 11-year-old son, Mason. But I'm super excited to be here. Zach, Pastor Keith, Pastor Manny, thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, and Multiply in general for letting me speak. So... Before I get going, I think you have to understand why I'm here and not that professional, because clearly I'm, I'm not, and you'll find that out pretty quickly. So back in January, Pastor Zach, Pastor Keith, and Pastor Manny were at Good Drip. They were in the back room. I guess it's the community table, Brian Vaughn. Is that what it's called? Okay, right on. So they're back there, and they have their calendars out, and they're thinking, hey, we've got to find somebody for the 19th, because these two guys were supposed to be gone, and Pastor Manny, we're waiting on a phone call to see if he has a daughter any time now. So clearly he couldn't speak. And so Zach's like, hey, I got the perfect guy. This guy's super intelligent, loves the Lord, articulate. He's the man. Pastor Zach calls him up, and he turns him down. <laughs> he's like, okay, hey, I got this other guy. Man, he's great. He's served in, on mission trips. He's led men's ministries before, Bible studies, got a great family. They serve together. He is going to be great. Calls him up, and the guy says No. So Zach, like, slams the phone down. Uh, I just realized that probably 90 for, 90% of you guys don't know what that is. <laughs> right? So he, like, hits the off button. And then he says, you know what? I guess I got to uh, I gotta call the best-looking guy now. <laughs> and he calls me. That's right. And I didn't have the heart to turn him down three times. So... But honestly, the first time when Zach asked me, immediately my mind went to the Old Testament. And I said, if God can speak through a donkey, he can absolutely speak through me. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to treat this morning as if we're around a coffee table having a Bible study. Okay, that's kind of my jam. For those of you that have been in studies with me, you kind of know that's really my, my sweet spot. But when I study scripture, I like to ask myself five questions. What does the scripture mean then? What does it mean now? How can I apply it to my life today? Are there any themes that truly really jump off the page? And what other scripture really tie in to what I'm reading? So those are the five questions that we're going to talk about and we're going to ask ourselves in our study this morning. So we're going to be in 1 Chronicles 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. And as you're doing that, I want to ask you some questions. So this is where I need some participation. So when you think of King David, what comes to mind? Shout it, come on. Goliath, what else? Slingshot guy, guy. right on. Shepherd, Shepherd. great, what else? Bathsheba, anything else? Say what? Lucky, Lucky. could be, warrior, yep, exactly. So I've been asking people this for probably the last month, month and a half since Zach asked me to speak and one thing that never comes up is the fact that one of David's sins caused 70,000 people to die. So what does that look like for us? It looks like Panther Stadium being at capacity. One sin, 70,000 people dead. And it's only at capacity when the Steelers are in town. (laughs) So another question for you, and I really want you to hold on to this till the end of the service. Think about a decision you made in the past that the consequence or the ripple effect was much bigger or larger than you had anticipated. Okay, not going to ask you what it was, but just think about it. So the theme of today's scripture is David's sin, God's judgment, God's mercy, and then we're going to tie in sacrifice at the end. So go ahead and open your Bible, uh, chapter one. I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse one. It says Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Okay, we're going to pause here for a moment. Another name for Satan would be an accuser. So we're not sure how he incited David. There's a couple different thoughts. Maybe one of his commanders said, hey, listen, you need to count your your army. I mean, you have a northern kingdom, southern kingdom. You need to count your army and see how many soldiers you have. Another one could be that maybe a uh, neighboring state, a neighboring nation was rising up and just creating some friction for Israel. We really don't know. But what we do know is that there's a parallel scripture in 2 Samuel 24. 2 Samuel 24 states that the anger of the Lord burnt against Israel, and this incited David to take the census. So what was it? Was it God? Was it Satan? The apparent discrepancy or contradiction that some could say exists is resolved by understanding that God sovereignly and permissively uses Satan To achieve his purpose. Let me say that again. That God sovereignly and permissively uses Satan to achieve his purpose. So, easy example is the book of Job. How many of you guys are familiar with the book of Job? So you have God, then you have Satan coming up. God asked him, So what have you been up to? He was like, I'm just going to and fro, right? This way and that way. And then God says, Have you considered my servant Job? I don't know about y'all. But the last thing I want God to say to Satan is, have you considered my servant, Chris? Right? Right? Definitely don't want to be there. John MacArthur, pastor in Southern California, says that God uses Satan to judge sinners, to refine the saints, to discipline those in the church, and to further purify obedient believers. So here's the thing, guys. Neither God nor Satan tempted or forced, excuse me, David to sin. God allowed Satan to tempt David to sin, and that took him hook, line, line. Now, from a census standpoint, a census, it's it's not a sin, right? But back then in biblical times, David's mistake was that he numbered God's people, something that only God had the right to do. Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 and 12. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a ransom to the Lord when you number them. So there will be no plague. I want you to guys remember that. No plague among them when you number them. So let's continue in Chronicles 2 through 7. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. So in today's terms, it would be from New York to L.A. Then report back to me that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, May the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel, then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all of Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him, and the command was also evil. In, uh, I'm sorry, so, <laughs> the command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. So we know the census, there are two types of censuses. censuses. Did I you say that? Senei censuses. Uh, first one is a tax for tax purposes, and we see that in Luke 2. Second is a military census, is what we see here. So what I love about this is that Joab, we don't have time to really get into his story. But Joab had the guts to push back in the king. Say, really? You really, you really want to do this? And he was on to something. Psalm 147.10 says, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him and put their hope in his unfailing love. So this brings me to a few questions. So where are you putting more faith in yourself than in the Lord? Right? Your job, your title, bank account, right? You're successful, but where are you putting more faith in yourself than in the Lord? Next, how many of you have one or two people that you go to when you have a big decision that you run it past them? And the third one is, do you seek godly counsel or do you seek counsel that you only want to hear? Because we are not called to do this Christian life by ourselves. So let me, let me play this out for you. So Manny, I've got this issue at work or at home. What do you think? I don't like what you say. Pastor Keith, got this issue at home, at work. What do you think? I don't like what you think either. Hey, Coach, Coach, I've got this issue, man. Yeah, I like what Coach says, so I'm gonna take what Coach says and I'm gonna just grab the bull by the horns and I'm gonna go down the road, right? What did David not do? What is, Scripture clearly says that David didn't do something? He didn't pray about it. Right? How many times in our life do we make big decisions without hitting our knees and we go down the road and we get kicked? right in the teeth, right? How many of you have ever grabbed a hot frying pan or a cookie sheet out of a stove? Right? One time, says Zach. one time. Nobody, nobody's ever done that, right? Everybody should. What's our initial reaction? To drop it, right, to drop it. How come that's not our initial reaction to prayer? How come we immediately don't hit our knees when we have a big decision? Because I wonder, I wonder if we play this out, if David would have prayed, and sought the Lord's guidance, what would have happened? What would have happened? We, we don't know, obviously, but where in your life are you not hitting your knees? Where do you think you can do this thing by yourself? And then what happens is I found in my 20-plus years of following Jesus is I always get kicked right in the teeth. It never fails. But if I humbly come to the Lord in prayer and I have godly counsel, so, hey, Pastor Manny, I've got this issue at work. What, what do you think? Okay, yeah, Pastor Keith? Right? Same thing. So what I'm hearing in my prayer life is mimicked in what these guys are saying. So that affirms my decision to keep going down the path. Right? Versus I'm making this decision. I'm going down this path, and it's probably not going to turn out right. So let's pick up. Verses 8 through 17. This is a long one. Forgive me here. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant, for I have done a very foolish thing. Just a side note, this whole census took nine months and 20 days. We see that in 2 Samuel. So we don't really know exactly when David had this kind of repentant heart. The Lord said to Gad, David's seer, go and tell David what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice. Three years of famine, Three months of being swept away before your enemies with the Lord with their swords overtaking you were three days of the sword of the Lord. Days of plague, remember we said plague before, plague in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then decide, how should I answer the one who sent me? David said to Gad, I'm in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying the people, "Eat enough. withdraw your hand.' The angel of the Lord was standing at the threshing floor of Uranah the Jebusite. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell down, and David said to God, "'Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted?' I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord, my God, let your hand fall on me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. So David recognized his sin. He recognized the error of his ways, and what did he do? Just like we do when we go down a wrong path, all of a sudden we get kicked in the teeth and then we pray. He prayed, right? He realized what he did was wrong and he asked for forgiveness. I don't know about y'all, but a lot of times it's hard to ask for forgiveness and admit that you've done wrong. Admitting you're wrong, though, is the first step in the forgiveness process. There can be no healing until you do that. Okay, pop quiz. God gave, Dave, God gave David three ultimatums. What are they? Three years. three years of what? Famine. You're paying attention. Three months of war or three months of three days, excuse me, three days of plague. Okay, how many of you would choose number one? We got one guy that would choose number one, right on. Number two, we got one or two with number two. How about number three? We got some. How about if you're like me and saying, there has to be a D. <laughs> there has Multiple choice always has four answers, right? There has to be a D, but there wasn't. So here's what, here's what David knew. David knew that men are inherently wicked and that God has mercy. He'd rather fall into the hands of the Lord than in the hands of men. Now, some commentators have stated that if David chose the first two, it would have been very selfish for him. He's king. If there's a famine, you think the king has food? Yeah, yeah it's not him that's going to be impacted. It's going to be the other people. Right? War. Right? David's not going to be impacted. Yes, he is a warrior, but the fact is he probably had soldiers in an army just for protection for him and his family. But he realized that picking the third one, right, it could impact anybody. Right? Think of COVID. I don't care if you're a preacher or a plumber, you probably got COVID, right? It's it's, it's a plague that could impact anybody. David knew that he wanted to fall into the hands of the Lord. So let me ask you this. Any situation, any areas of your life where you're falling into the hands of the world or falling in the hands of God? So where are you leaning on yourself versus leaning in on the strength of God? I love verse 17. David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord, my God, let your hand fall on me and my family. Do not let this plague remain on your people. Jesus, our shepherd, he was punished for our sin. He calls us sheep. Think about it this way. David's sin caused 70,000 people to die. Jesus' death and resurrection has influenced approximately 2.2 billion to put their faith in him. One sinned, 70,000 died. One died, rose, 2.2 million. And that, and that gift is open to us right now. So how do you view God? Do you view God as a loving father or a harsh one? In my opinion, how we view God is a direct indication of how we handle his discipline. Now, how many of you out there have kids and when you discipline them, they do what my son does and heads right upstairs? Right? Any kids run when you're disciplining, or am I just the only bad dad out there? So I'll give you an example. Jen and I, my wife Jen, we could be cooking dinner, and he will just be like this little mosquito on my daughter, you know, and just nitpick, nitpick. And then I'll say something like, boy, get over here. And he, like, gives me this look, and then three steps he's upstairs, and you can actually hear him, boom, 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 door shut, jumping on the bed. Right? I know it's a dumb example, but the fact is we do the same thing with God. Right? We run from God. Why is that? Even though David repented and ran to God, there was still a consequence. So when that little jammer comes down, there's still going to be a consequence. How do we view God's mercy? Do we run to him like David or do we run from him? It's not how far we can stray from the Lord. It's how close we can stay to him. Right? Too oftentimes, what we want to do is, can I still do this or can I still go down this path and still be still be believer. Can I still be a Christian, right? Here's the thing, guys. You're the one who moved, not Jesus, okay? So when we do that, we have to remember that he's the one that stayed. We have to come back to him. It's not how far we can stray. It's how close we can stay to him. One of our favorite verses in our family is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, some people think, David's sin was a sin of pride. He wanted to see how many men he had in his army. And that, and that could have been uh, the reason for his sin. But the fact is, what he didn't do is put it in God's hands first. He didn't pray to God. He didn't ask God if this is something that he needed to do. So what is it right now that you need to put in God's hands? Are you trying to carry a burden on your own? Here's the thing. We are not meant to carry it by ourselves. We have a God that will help Carry it. We should be in community with people, right? That we can lean in on those one or two people to help carry that burden. I'm just going to give a recap of, of the rest of the rest of the scripture due to time. Read the first couple verses. though. the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go and build an altar on uh, altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Uriah the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word that Gad had spoken. Here's the thing. A threshing floor typically is going to be on a hill. This is where they have oxen and sledges that they take the, they take the wheat and they throw it up. And here that phrase separates the wheat from the chaff. That's kind of where this comes from. So the Lord told David to go build an altar. And the, uh, the owner, Yorana, he basically said, you can have it. Take the land. Take the, take the oxen. Take the wood. Take the wheat. David didn't do that. He said he had to pay full price for it. Why did he have to t- pay full price? because a sacrifice that costs nothing means nothing. David had to have skin in the game. So what is the Lord telling you to do that you're just not doing? Are you fully obeying the Lord? Because here's the thing, we either obey him or we don't. There's no, there is no middle ground. Think about it. Free food, free meat, free land, free wheat, man, that'd be great. But it would mean nothing. The sacrifice would have meant nothing. When David made that sacrifice, that's when the plague stopped. A sacrifice is the surrender of something for something else. Make me feel good here, guys. How many of you re-gift at Christmas? <laughs> Thank goodness. In first service, it was maybe one hand. They were lying. They were lying. I see. Toddie does too. So here's the thing: in in that re-gift, is there a sacrifice? I had a re-gift in my garage for a year, and I couldn't wait to give that darn thing away. But the fact is, it wasn't from my heart, right? It, was, it didn't mean anything. There was no sacrifice to it. Now, here's what I find really interesting about this piece of Scripture. Where David was building the altar is the same place where Isaac was going to be sacrificed by Abraham. Where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac which is the same area where Jesus was crucified. I mean, this, it just blew my mind that you have Abraham sacrificing Isaac, this issue with, not the issue, but the ability to have this altar to stop the plague and then fast forward where Jesus was crucified. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for humanity. So when I asked you about that decision that you made that had that, li- that ripple effect, how many of you went negative? Don't lie. We're in church. Right? Most people, when they hear a ripple effect, they go negative. I want to flip that script. Right? What's the one decision or two decisions in your life that that ripple effect was awesome? Right? The biggest ripple effect in my life and some of my family's lives is that day we made the choice to follow Jesus, to make him Lord and Savior. That ripple effect is changing generations. Changing generations. With that being said, if there is a true and authentic love for Jesus, there will be a cost. There will be a sacrifice. What we're called to do is lay down our life in response to Jesus' sacrifice and live a life that's honoring to the Lord. Now, I know in a church of this size, there is a lot of stuff and junk going on. Relational issues, family issues, marital issues, kid issues, work-related issues. Don't obviously don't know the specifics, but I know that until you come to the altar and you lay down whatever it is that's weighing you down and give it up to Jesus, that burden is gonna to be too heavy for you to carry by yourself. We are not meant to do this by ourselves. We have a community here that can get around you. We have an altar where you can come and lay whatever it is that you need to lay at the feet, at the foot of the cross at the feet of Jesus. Pastor Zach, if you want to start making your way up. Here's what I wanna leave you with. I read this years ago, and it's just stuck with me. I want you to picture Jesus staring you in the eye. I want you to see his compassion and the love he has for you. And I want you to realize that when he's doing this, he's looking at you, and he's looking up at the cross, and he looks back at you with love and compassion, and he says, you're worth it, Jason, you're worth it. My sacrifice is for you. You cannot sin the blood of Jesus, but his sacrifice, what he did on that cross, was for you. You're worth it. You have to believe it. Doesn't matter what it was. I don't care what it is. We have David was a murderer and an adulterer. And guess what he was called? Someone said it over here. He was what? A, guy, a man after God's own heart. If there's room for David in the kingdom of God, there's room for anybody else in here. You're worth it.